Hello, this is Edwin Crozier from the Franklin Church of Christ. Thank you for joining us as we look at the first few chapters of 2 Samuel. It was a difficult time in Israel's history. Saul had died and David was supposed to be king, but Abner wanted Saul's son to reign in his place. A civil war was on. It was a terrible time and came because so many people lost their perspective. Examine the story with me as we learn how to maintain a proper perspective even in troubled times. For a long time, I had this image that back during the Old Covenant and the Kingdom of Israel, whenever there was a shift of power, it just happened one right after another. One king would die and then the next king would come to the throne and it just happened nice and easy. I think I probably got that picture just because of all those nice little timelines that made it look as though it just went from one king to the next. But what I found as I studied and looked back is that's really not how it works. If the king died and he had not firmly entrenched his heir as co-regent, as, as king alongside him, and then the king to follow, my folks thought the thrones were just up for grabs. And a lot of times there was a great deal of turmoil and the kingdom would become divided even further between folks who were vying for the throne. This sometimes happened even when God had said who was supposed to be the next king. Back in 1 Samuel chapter 31, Saul died in battle with the Philistines. We all know that God had promised that David was supposed to be the following king. Saul had known it. His son Jonathan had known it. We've got evidence that the citizens of Israel knew it. Abner, the commander of Saul's army, knew that God had promised this to David. Yet, despite all of that, after Saul died, David didn't just get to become king. In 2 Samuel chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, the Scripture there tells us, 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, had taken Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim, he made him king over Gilead, over the Asherites, over Jezreel, over Ephraim, and over Benjamin, even over all Israel. And for two years, there was struggle and turmoil, civil war, as David had been named king over the tribe of Judah and all that would follow them. And Ishbosheth had been named king over everybody else. It took two years for them to get this straightened out. There was a great deal of strife. There was a great deal of turmoil. Brother was against brother, family against family, neighbor against neighbor, all those kinds of things that go along with the civil war were taking place in Israel and in Judah. But interestingly, as we take a look at this and we wonder, how did this get started? What we find is that there were just people who had lost their perspective. During this time of trouble, during this time of turmoil, they lost their perspective. They were no longer looking at the world and looking at the way things ought to be based on what God wanted. But their view of things had become skewed. I would like for us to take a moment to look at some of the characters that are in this story to help us understand how we might keep our perspective even during times of trouble. And I'd like for us to examine some of the characters and how their perspective was skewed, how it was taken off track, and ultimately with each one of them caused their death. I want us to begin by noticing 
Abner. Abner became loyal to a man. His perspective was skewed because he was loyal to a man. Abner will find out there in the passage we read just moments ago, 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 8, he had been the commander of Saul's army. That was a great place for him to be. That was a good role for him to fill while Saul was king. Remember, David himself honored Saul as God's anointed and protected Saul as God's anointed. And so Abner had a good role under King Saul to protect the anointed of God who was king over all of Israel. However, Abner was aware, as commander, he had been with Saul when he had had those altercations with David, when David could have killed him but didn't. And the interchanges that went back and forth, as Saul said, I know that you're going to be king. I know that God's promised this to you, David. Please just don't kill my kids. And David swears, I won't do it. Abner knew about all of that. And yet, when Saul died, instead of placing his loyalty to the next one who had been anointed by God, instead of becoming the commander of David's army, and protecting God's anointed again, he put his support under Ishbosheth. That's a hard name to say. And wanted him to be king. Ishbosheth, of course, being Saul's son. There in Second Samuel two verses eight and nine, what we read just moments ago, that Abner took him and made him king over all Israel. What was the problem? He had become loyal to Saul and to Saul's family. And his loyalty to the man overrode his loyalty to God. I believe loyalty to our friends is a good thing. In fact, I believe it's part of what's taught as the unconditional love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7. As he talks about this agape love that we're supposed to have in 1 Corinthians 13, 7, it says we have to bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things. That sounds like loyalty. I think loyalty to our friends and, and loyalty to our leaders is a good thing. But we must never allow that loyalty to overcome our loyalty to God. God must come first. God's plans must take precedence. Loyalty to our Father in heaven must outweigh loyalty to any that we have here on earth. Jesus taught this in Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew chapter 10, beginning at verse 34, Jesus said in Matthew 10:34, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Abner needed to learn that he who loves his king more than God is not worthy of God. And his loyalty became his perspective became skewed. He was no longer looking at how he ought to act and how the world ought to work from God's plan and from God's perspective, but his own. 
And can't we do the same thing very easily? Can't our perspective and our view of how we ought to live, how the church ought to work, how things ought to go in the world, can't it become skewed when we become loyal to an individual? How many times have we seen that sort of thing happen? Perhaps a favorite preacher or a favorite elder espouses doctrinal error and folks follow after them. Perhaps someone who had been a pillar in the church falls into sin and others defend it and go along with it because they became loyal to the man and lost their perspective. You remember what it says in Acts chapter 5 and verse 29? In Acts chapter 5 and verse 29, Peter and the apostles answered the council saying, we must obey God rather than man. Be loyal to your friends. Be loyal to your leaders. But if they go against God's plan, be loyal to God. Abner lost his perspective because he was loyal to a man, to a family. But then we have Ishbosheth, who lost his perspective out of fear. One of the things that I find very interesting is that although Ishbosheth was the one who was placed on the throne, as you read these chapters at the beginning of 2 Samuel, you'll find that Ishbosheth was not the leader of the movement. There in 2 Samuel chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, remember what it said? It didn't say Ishbosheth set himself up on the throne. Who set him on the throne? Abner did. Abner was the leader. But Ishbosheth was willing to follow, wasn't he? After all, this is, this is the king. I, I get to be king. Wouldn't you want that too? While the Scripture doesn't say that Ishbosheth was aware of the promise God had made to David, I would find it hard to believe that he was unaware. His father knew it. His brother knew it. Many of the citizens in Israel knew it. The commander who placed him on the throne knew it. I tend to believe Ishbosheth probably knew it. And yet he was willing to follow along with Abner. And I have to ask why. I believe Second Samuel chapter 3 and verse 11, an incident that occurs later in this whole mess, probably explains to us why Ishbosheth followed along. He could no longer answer Abner a word because he was afraid of him. He was afraid of Abner, this commander of his father's army. So whatever Abner said, Ishbosheth was going to go along. And when Abner decided to turn his back on him, he was afraid. He couldn't answer him. He couldn't try to get him back because he was scared of him. Ishbosheth needed to remember that while Abner could certainly at any point have killed him, that was all he could do. But God, to whom Ishbosheth should have been loyal, could not only kill the body, but to kill the body and afterwards cast the soul into hell. Matthew chapter 10, again, this time verse 28. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28, Jesus said there, Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Fear God. God's plan had been clearly stated. David was supposed to become king. David was a man after God's own heart. He'd been anointed by Samuel. He had been demonstrated as a leader. Saul himself had admitted that David was going to receive the throne. 
Ishbosheth should have feared God for trying to alter these plans. But instead, he feared Abner. And his perspective was altered. His view of things was changed. And he followed along with somebody's plans other than God's. And in the end, we recognize that it led to his death. In 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 7, it talks about Rechab and Baana. They came into Ishbosheth's house as he was lying on his bed in his bedroom. They struck him, killed him, and beheaded him. They took his head and traveled by way of the Arabah all night. He wouldn't have died here. He had not gone along with this plan. But because he allowed his perspective to be skewed, not only was Israel divided, not only was there all this trouble, but it cost him his life. And what about us? Whom do we fear? Our loyalty needs to be to God. And we must not allow it to be changed because we fear those around us. We need to be able to stand up relying on God's strength, trusting in God's promises, proclaiming God's gospel no matter what anybody says, obeying God no matter who opposes us. We must not allow our perspective to be skewed through fearing others. Rather, we must fear God. Abner lost his perspective from loyalty to a man. Ishbosheth because of fear of a man. Joab and Abishai lost their perspective through seeking revenge. Joab and Abishai were commanders in David's army, and then uh, on down through the time, mighty men in David's army. I believe that when all of this started, their perspective was probably right. They had known that David was promised by God to be king. They were standing up to protect him, to, to fight his battles, to go with him into battle. However, something occurred in the midst of all of this that changed their perspective. Their brother Asahel was killed. In 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 18, it says in 2 Samuel 2, verse 18, Now the three sons of Zariah, they were there, Joab and Abishai and Asahel, and Asahel was as swift-footed as one of the gazelles which is in the field. Asahel pursued Abner and did not turn to the right or the left from following Abner. Then Abner looked behind him and said, Is that you, Asahel? And he answered, It is I. So Abner said to him, Turn to your right or to your left. Take hold of one of the young men for yourself and take for yourself his spoil. But Asahel was not willing to turn aside from following him. Abner repeated again in verse 22, Turn aside from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? How then could I lift up my face to your brother Joab? However, he refused to turn aside. Therefore, Abner struck him in the belly with the butt end of the spear so that the spear came out at his back. And he fell there and died on the spot. And it came about that all who came to the place where Asahel had fallen and died stood still. But Joab and Abishai chased Abner. And from that moment on, their perspective was colored from a desire to get vengeance. It's really kind of a sad story in my book. Abner didn't want to kill him. Even when he struck him, it looks to me as though he's trying to avoid a death blow because he hit him with the wrong end of the spear. And yet I imagine through the heat of the battle, through adrenaline pumping, it still went right through him. 
and killed him. And you can just imagine when Joab and Abishai came up to him and the spear is sticking out with the point this way, what did it look like? It looked like he had been stabbed in the back. And so they wanted vengeance. And from that point on, that's what they thought about. Even later on, when Abner turned his back on Ishbosheth and in chapter 3 came over to David's side, here is the man who has the greatest ability to unite Israel under David. This man who had been commanding Israel's armies under Ishbosheth was now coming over to David. He was speaking to the elders of Israel and telling them, let's go be with David just like God said we ought to. But Joab and Abishai, instead of looking at God's plans to get David on the throne, were just thinking about their vengeance. And so, in chapter 3 and verse 26, when Joab came out from David, he sent messengers after Abner, and they brought him back from the well of Sirah, but David did not know it. So when Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside into the middle of the gate to speak with him privately, and there he struck him in the belly so that he died on account of the blood of Asahel, his brother. However, it didn't end here for Joab. We find in 1 Kings chapter 2, 1 Kings chapter 2, beginning at verse 5, years later, that David finally decided to bring judgment down upon Joab's head for this. And as he passed the throne on to his son, Solomon, he commanded Solomon to do something about Joab. In 1 Kings chapter 2 and verse 5, he says, Now you also know what Joab, the son of Zariah, did to me, what he did to the two commanders of the armies of Israel, to Abner, the son of Ner, and to Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he killed. He also shed the blood of war and peace, and he put the blood of war on his belt, about his waist, and on his sandals, on his feet. So act according to your wisdom, and do not let his gray hair go down to Sheol in peace. Later on in the chapter, verse 28. Now the news came to Joab, for Joab had followed Adonijah, although he had not followed Absalom. And Joab fled to the tent of the Lord and took hold of the horns of the altar. It was told King Solomon that Joab had fled to the tent of the Lord, and behold, he is beside the altar. Then Solomon sent Beniah, the son of Jehoiada, saying, Go, fall upon him. So Beniah came to the tent of the Lord and said to him, Thus the king has said, Come out. But he said, No, for I'll die here. And Beniah brought the king word again, saying, Thus spoke Joab, and thus he answered me. And the king said to him, Well, do as he has spoken, and fall upon him and bury him, that you may remove from me and from my father's house the blood which Joab shed without cause. And that's exactly what happened. Verse 34, Beniah, the son of Jehoiada, went up, fell upon him, put him to death, and he was buried at his own house in the wilderness. Because of his skewed perspective, Joab was eventually executed because he lost sight of what was really important. He lost sight of God's plans and started following his own. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse, eight, verse 17. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. 
But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How easy it is for us today to have our perspective skewed because of past wrong. Somebody hurt us. Somebody did something to us that they shouldn't have done. And, and of course they shouldn't have done. But if we allow ourselves to get bent on getting our vengeance, on getting even, on getting back at them, or even just holding a grudge, we can lose our perspective. And we'll no longer be following after God's plans, but our own. And our demise will be just as Joab's and Abishai's. We must not allow vengeance to skew our perspective. Then I'd like for us to notice these two almost unknown men, Rekeb and Bayana. These two men have just a small part to play in this whole story over in 2 Samuel chapter 4. These are men who had called Ishbosheth king. But when they saw the way the winds were blowing and they recognized that Ishbosheth was not going to be king for much longer, but David was going to be king, they decided they were going to be the ones who would get the reward. They were going to get rid of David's enemy for him. They were going to take this king out and they were going to bring his head to David. And in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 5, So the sons of Remem the Berethite, Rechab and Baana, departed and came to the house of Ishbosheth in the heat of the day while he was taking his midday rest. They came to the middle of the house as if to get wheat, and they struck him in the belly, and Rechab and Baana, his brother, escaped. Now when they came into the house as he was lying on his bed in his bedroom, they struck him and killed him and beheaded him. And they took his head and traveled by way of the Arabah all night. Then they brought the head of Ishbosheth to David of Hebron and said to the king, Behold, the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, your enemy, who sought your life. Thus the Lord has given my Lord the king vengeance this day on Saul and his descendants. They're vying for a prize. They want a reward. But it didn't work out that way for them. You'll notice in verse 9, David answered Rechab and Baana, his brothers, sons of Renan the Berethite, and said to them, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from all distress. When one told me, saying, Behold, Saul is dead, and thought he was bringing me good news, I seized him and killed him in Ziklag, which was the reward I gave him for his news. How much more, when wicked men have killed a righteous man in his own house on his bed, shall I not now require his blood from your hand and destroy you from the earth? Then David commanded the young men, and they killed them, and cut off their hands and feet, and hung them up beside the pool in Hebron. But they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in the grave of Abner in Hebron. Here they finally had the opportunity to come around and actually serve the rightful king. And they could have done it properly. But instead, their desire for reward for material goods distracted them from what God's plan would be. And they killed a man who was king, their leader. Not in battle, not in self-defense, in cold-blooded murder in his own house. And thought that David would be happy with that. Thought that God would be happy with that. But he wasn't. Because they lost perspective looking for a material reward. Isn't that easy for us to do? 
to lose perspective. There are all kinds of things down here that we'd like, all kinds of things to have and to own and to use. How easy it would be to lose perspective striving for that new house or that new car or that new computer or, or that new status, the promotion. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2, Paul said in Colossians 3 and verse 2, Set your mind on the things above, not on the things on the earth. Keep your perspective on God, not on all this stuff down here. All these men died because they lost their perspective. Israel went through two of its worst years in history because these men lost their perspective. It stands to reason that if we want to avoid the kind of turmoil that they had, we have to maintain our perspective properly. If we want to avoid the end that these men faced, we need to maintain our perspective. We shouldn't be like these men. Instead, we need to be like David. David is the only individual, at least that's highlighted as a main character in this story, that maintained the proper perspective. I'm not saying that David was perfect. I know that David lost perspective at times during his life and caused trouble for himself, for his family, for his kingdom. However, in this story, David's character and actions are impeccable. Out of all those that are here, he maintained his focus on God's will. And there was no secret formula. There were no six-point plan for maintaining the proper perspective. He simply trusted God. He trusted God's promises. He trusted that God would work out His promises in His way, in His time. Therefore, he refused to violate one of God's commands. He would not kill God's anointed just for God's promise to come about. He would not even rejoice when God's anointed was killed. He would mourn. And he would wait on God to bring about his promises. And while waiting on God, he would just do what God said. And that was it. And far from losing his life in 2 Samuel chapter 5, 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 1, All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and your flesh. Previously, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and in. And the Lord said to you, You will shepherd my people Israel. You will be a ruler over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king of Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them before the Lord at Hebron. Then they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years. At Hebron he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah. Because David maintained proper perspective, he didn't lose his life, he gained the kingdom. And that's what we need to do. How easy it would be to lose perspective. To become loyal to a man or a woman or a family. To fear those around us. To seek vengeance or a reward. But what we must seek is God's kingdom 
and God's righteousness. Trust God's promises, that He will work them out in His time, in His way. And our duty is simply to wait on Him, obeying what He has said. That is the proper perspective. My question for you tonight, what is your perspective? What is your view? How are you facing the world? I want to thank you again for studying God's Word with me. Let's remember what we've learned. We must not allow our perspective to be altered by loyalty to a man, fear of men, revenge, or riches. Rather, our perspective must be governed by God and His will at all times. Let's learn to follow David's example in the story and let God work His will in His time and in His way. If someone has given you this lesson, please feel free to check out our website to access numerous other studies in manuscript or audio format. That website is www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. If you have any questions about God's will or about the Franklin Church of Christ, please feel free to contact us by calling 615-794-2359 or contact us through our website. Again, that's franklinchurchofchrist.com. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. More importantly, may you richly bless God.